It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show. It's on campus today in the Boston area. We are downtown in the great metropolis at Fisher College and we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. That is wonderful. Thank you for the warm reception, Fisher College. And we bring on our first guest from the women's soccer team. It's Maya. Hi, Maya. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Adam? Uh, fantastic. You're really good at this. Have you done interviews before? Um, yeah, all the time. All the time? All the time. Big, you're a media guru. I am. Well, we heard about your, uh, your interviewing skills, and we wanted to bring you on to talk about the women's soccer team here at Fisher College and what you guys do in the community uh, to make Boston a better place. What do you guys do? Um, well, we're really big with the local orphanage, and what we do is we collect clothes throughout our student body here on campus. We collect c- clothes and donations, and we give it to the local orphanages. Now, I have no idea why that's funny, <laughs> but that, that is awesome. It's not true? Is that true? I just got to campus a week ago. I don't know what we do for Wow. I am so impressed. So out top of your head, you've been on this campus for a matter of days, and you just joined the soccer team, and you uh, had no idea what this interview was going to be about, but you were rolling with it. You were going with it. Um, and mention the orphanage. Well, I'll tell you what, the fake or- orphanage and all those fake kids, they thank you so much from the bottom of their heart. Um, is there, uh, let's redeem the women's soccer team okay. at Fisher College. Is there a, a community service project you guys have done recently? No. Okay. <laughs> this is great. No. Oh, my God. I know, I know how we can save this. I know how we can save it. And I love your honesty. Uh, is there something you've done? No. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, I was talking in the hallway earlier with uh, Chris, one of the uh, former men's basketball players who's actually on staff here at Fisher College. Uh, I want to bring Chris up and talk to you if we could. Come on up here, sir. And Maya, I am, again, so impressed that you went with that and just didn't say, oh, I-, I don't know, I just got to campus. So um, now I'll challenge you to actually start a community service project to help an orphanage here in the Boston area. All right. Try my best. All right. Whatever, dude. Okay. So here we have uh, Chris. Uh, you played here when, sir? Um, 2011 to 2015. Okay, 2011 to 15. And uh, not only as a player and a student athlete, you got involved with the Boston area, but uh, as a staffer now, like a grad assistant coach um, in the athletic department, what do you guys do? Um, we do a day of service that all freshmen do in the common experience class where they do a cleanup and esplanade. Um, all athletic teams do a breast cancer walk in October, and we recently did a relay for life for Alice Giacosi, who was a Fisher student, and she recently had cancer, so we raised money for her for her treatments. 
raising money for a, a fellow Fisher College um, student who has cancer. Um, the Breast Cancer Awareness Walk, that's every October. Yes. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. How many people are involved? Uh, is there just uh, is there funds and money raised, or is it just awareness for like online and Facebook? Uh, money is raised. We give out T-shirts that all the students wear, um, take a bunch of pictures, and all the athletic teams usually do the six-mile walk um, around Boston. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad to learn that there's so much great stuff happening here at Fisher College. Maya, thank you so much for coming on. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Let's have one more round of applause for all of the students here at Fisher College. Thanks for hosting the Adam Ritz Show. Get socially technical with the Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social. Technically. Continuing on now at the worldwide headquarters of International Fraternity Acacia with the executive director of this International Fraternity Acacia. He was an Acacia. He still is an Acacia. His name is Patrick McGovern. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Good, Adam. Good to be with you. I'm uh, so glad to have you on board uh, because of your expertise of being the um, executive director for our listeners. You know, that also goes along with just the boss. You're the head guy, the grand poobah, um, the operations manager, um, the CEO of this fraternity. And for our non-Greek listeners, the Greek life, the Greek scene, fraternities and sororities, usually people uh, are used to, you know, the letters, alpha, beta, from Revenge of the Nerds, or um, um, you can make up some funny ones like I tapped a keg or whatever. Uh, I was a Sigma Phi Epsilon. Some of my friends were Sigma News. So outside of those Greek letter organizations, this is Acacia. Um, and there's only a handful of, of non-Greek letter fraternities. Acacia, Farmhouse, anything else? Triangle. Triangle fraternity, uh, big math guys. I think that's why they're called Triangle. Um, tell us real quick the background on Acacia and the name. Sure. So Acacia is the only Greek fraternity that uses a Greek word as opposed to a series of letters to uh, for the name of our fraternity. So we were started in 1904 at University of Michigan by 14 Master Masons uh, who are originally parts of the University of Michigan Masonic Club. And they wanted another venue for uh, involvement and, and brotherhood within their community. And so they created Acacia. So for the first 30 years of our organization, you had to be a Master Mason before you could join Acacia. Um, so we really had some some uh, amazing initial founding fathers and, and uh, initial people in the fraternity. So what's the Greek word acacia mean? How does that translate? So there are six meanings that we, we sort of say. My favorite one is distinctiveness and leadership among mankind. No uh, kidding. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's one of them. Another one, uh, there is an acacia tree that grows in the Far East and, and really in a, in, in a number of climates around the, around the earth that is... Uh, survives the seasons with very little nutrients and kind of in the harshest environment, so it stands for survival and immortality as well. Is there a nut on that tree? Have I heard of an acacia nut, or did that just pop into my head for no reason at all? I believe there are some that have berries or of an some acacia. sort. Oh, uh, it's maybe. like a blueberry, right? Like a pomegranate? Acacia? Like a... I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to get our we'll fitness and nutritionist on the show to tell us the, the food origin of uh, the word acacia. But the, you said leadership and distinctiveness. That's amazing because that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, as the leader of this uh, fraternity nationwide, um, it's young men in college that uh, are learning how to be men and gentlemen, and leadership falls right into that. So I guess as their leader, uh, how do you approach those topics of leadership and philanthropy and character and integrity? We sort of come at it from two different directions. One, we try to help the guys better understand 
who they are and understand their own personal values, while at the same time coming from the other side and saying, these are our organizational values, this is what we stand for, and hopefully there's some congruence there. Uh, most of the time there is. Um, so we have, uh, through our Cornerstones membership development program, we have the guys do activities from clarifying their own values, establishing a mission statement, a sense of purpose, um, what their strengths are. Uh, so we, we really try to engage in uh, self-discovery, knowledge of the self, and then basically apply that out into the community from there. So um, in Acacia, our core values are virtue, knowledge, and truth. That, those are sort of our, our main values that we stand for. Our motto is human service. So a part of our fraternity is believing that being a leader is serving humanity in some way. So we, we believe that to be the highest ideal of, of mankind is to serve others. I love it, serving humanity. And you were an Acacia back in your undergrad days. Um, you still look like a fairly young guy to me, but it was probably, what, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe, tops? 15, yeah. 15, okay. Um, has it changed that much? I mean, when you were going through new member education, new member programming at your Acacia uh, chapter house, um, now, you know, a lot's happened with, with technology and media, um, hazing, um, domestic issues, drinking. Now there's some drugs that, that exist now that never existed back then. So there's a, I'm going to guess and assume that a lot has changed with new member education and development. A lot has changed, Adam. Um, you know, one of the most critical factors for us to remain successful is to be adaptable and agile um, to our environment. So in the last 15 years, I was initiated in 1999 at Indiana, and um, a lot has changed Unfortunately, we, we actually closed down my chapter about 10 years after I was in it, and we're re reopening now, um, and we've got a bunch of new guys excited about being occasions at IU again, and their, their pledge ship is going to look quite a bit different from, from what it would have looked like 15 or 20 years ago. Um, we're much more intentional and specific about the types of conversations we have with our guys early on so that they understand their community and all the risks that are out there, as well as how best they can uh, fit into the Acacia framework. Um, but just with the advent of the internet and social media and you know, iPhones, frankly, um, the, whole, the whole media landscape has changed and, and the way that people represent themselves uh, has changed. So uh, we also train our chapters on um, wise use of public uh, or social media and uh, being conscientious and, and thoughtful about anything they put out there. Patrick McGovern is our guest. He's the leader and executive director of Acacia International Fraternity. International, you've got a location in Canada. We do at Carleton. Uh, our, our guys up in Ottawa, on Ontario, so they will, uh, they'll be excited to hear a mention. Um, but, you've been up there. Uh, you got I, passport. I have not. I'm re <laughs> renewing my passport right now, actually. Um, so I'll be going to visit those guys probably before too long. Um, but yeah, we're international. That is pretty, pretty cool. Um, before I let you go, I know you're busy. I want to uh, hit on a word that um, a lot of people associate with fraternities. Um, movies don't help, and sometimes it's funny in the movies, is hazing. Uh, it happens even in high schools, high school sports and locker rooms. There's um, the pro sport, NFL, you know, the rookies, they shave their heads. They don't even do that anymore in the NFL. Uh, anything considered hazing is enormously negative and bad, even if it uh, on the surface can seem fun. Hey, we're, we've got this activity. We're going to make our guys go to this party. We're going to make our guys drink this much alcohol. We're going to make our guys hang out with these young ladies. You know, as an 18-year-old kid, you're like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. If something goes horribly wrong in that scenario, 
There's, that's ha- that falls into the definition of hazing. Those are felony crimes, and everything falls apart after that. Um, as I'm setting up this hazing, I guess, um, category, when I was in college, uh, before you were, hazing, I mean, it was, it was tough. It was uh, physical, and people got hurt. And thankfully, at my campus, nobody got killed or anything. But that was happening a lot in the mid-'80s and the late-'80s and the early-'90s. Insurance, everything's changed. In my head, in my middle-aged head, I still think, okay, there, there can't be that much hazing going on anymore. There just can't be because of my idiot generation going through the mid-'80s ruined it for everybody. They got rid of hazing. Everybody's smart now. And then I keep hearing these stories. I mean, there's some guy, There's like 37 guys that just got arrested for a hazing death in New York. Um, it's still happening. Why is it that each, I guess, successive generation of 18-year-old kids can't understand that this can hurt people and be bad? Well, that's a great question. If I knew, uh, if you knew the answer, the exact answer <laughs> to that, we'd we'd all be in a better, a lot better place. It's it's perplexing. It really is. Um, it. I will say my observation has been I've worked for the headquarters for nine years. My observation has been absolutely that that it's on the uh, on a downturn, and and the types of things that the guys may be expected to do um, are generally no nowhere near as severe as they they would have been in the 80s and and even earlier than that. So I, I do think the tide has turned in general. Um, the other the other piece of that is. Um, nowadays, when one of these stories um, comes out, uh, the the incident in New York, um, everyone knows about it immediately. Yeah, and that's true. You know, in the, in the olden days, you sort of wouldn't hear about any of those things. So I think the severity has come down a lot. Um, unfortunately, uh, people mistreating others is is a part of human nature, and we have to try to educate and prevent that as much as possible. Um, we um, we try to guide our, our chapters on the right way to welcome a brother into the into the brotherhood and initiate him and, and have in a respectful way so that he respects himself and the organization. Um, but it's it's something that we have to continue to reeducate because uh, you know every six months we've got a whole new group of people coming in. So we are sort of constantly in the business of reeducating and and having those hard conversations with guys and, and trying to draw the consequences out of those type type of actions and 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 then let them you know make their own choices to a degree um, but hopefully they're along the right lines with some good guidance we started the conversation and i threw in uh i tap a keg as a misnomer for a greek letter organization um drinking has changed a lot over the years and what's allowed inside a fraternity house now uh, i don't know if you're if, if it's a dry situation some national organizations have just say nothing in the house period um Certainly probably no kegs. I mean, when I was in a fraternity, we used to have a van from the liquor store pull up with 10 kegs and just leave them on our back porch. That's like ancient history now. That just doesn't happen. Um, Yet there's still, you know, alcohol problems everywhere in America, not just in Greek life and college campuses, but it's certainly something you have to educate, especially an 18-year-old kid who just got out of his mom's basement on uh, the dangers of how things can go horribly wrong uh, in the world of alcohol. Now, I know that bringing up alcohol is a totally different thing. Uh, That's a whole other five-hour show we could talk about. But real quick, um, how do you, I guess, talk to your new guys about the importance of responsibility when it comes to alcohol? We, we just try to urge them to, to always exercise caution and to always be your brother's keeper. Um, unfortunately, with, with a lot of the alcohol regulations that have happened in, in recent years, that has shifted some behavior to where uh, students have more of a tendency to have harder alcohol, more of it, and faster in a shorter amount of time. So, the, you know, back in, in your days when you were there and they were bringing in kegs, um, it 
it was a massive amount of alcohol, but at least she kind of controlled the flow a little bit. So today's, today's students are, are dealing with alcohol in, in largely a different way. And, um, you know, again, we have to continue to educate challenge our brothers to live to a higher standard um, but the the alcohol issue in this country is is certainly very widespread and um, you know we try to educate our guys as best we can I never thought of that you know in the old days if there's a keg in the corner you know you can have a couple beers and you know you can have a couple beers after that because the keg's going to be in the corner nowadays no keg but somebody's got a big giant bottle of vodka and they drink that really fast with no chaser and the next thing you know there's a there's a mean whiskey drunk running around the house. Okay. And let me clarify and say that I'm not trying to say let's go back to kegs or anything like that. I'm just saying that I wasn't put you on the no. Yeah, yeah. The, I, you know, the drinking is is occurring, it's changing form, so we again have to continue to adapt, monitor and and educate as best we can. All right, he's Patrick McGovern. Uh, thank you for the education on the history of acacia. It's a Greek word meaning leadership and distinctiveness among mankind. And it also might be a fruit, some sort of blueberry. <laughs> We're going to, you know what, I'm going to do a follow-up report on, on the nutritional value of acacia. It's been a while since I've looked into that. <laughs> <laughs> Send your questions, comments, or concerns to the Adam Ritz Show by emailing adam at adamritz.com. Adam Ritz Show, continuing on with a, a great guest, a comedian, an improviser, um, a magician. He is Cody Dove. Hi, Cody. How are you? Hi. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. And uh, we were talking off mic. You've got a, a career in radio in your back pocket. You're maybe one of the most interesting persons I've ever met. You also <laughs> have done stuff with a rodeo. I have, yeah. You know, a performing background, guys go different ways. Whether they discover it when they're in high school with the drama club or whether they, uh, in college, are like, oh, I should try that. I've always wanted to be on stage. I, as a kid, when I was eight, nine years old, I would be involved in rodeo clown acts, so I didn't really have a choice <laughs> of my Gosh. career path. And when your dad's a rodeo announcer, you can't say, uh, your dad can't d turn to you and be like, well, you can't go into the entertainment business. When he's a rodeo announcer, he doesn't, really doesn't have a lot of credit to be like, you have to be a doctor now. Well, so. at least he wasn't <laughs> the, one of the rodeo clowns. That's it's true. A, yeah. a legit part of the of rodeo he was the announcer that's right yeah and which ties into my love for radio your love for radio and uh i was involved in a small radio market in new mexico and then that grew into wanting to do a little bit of television but all along uh being a comedy magic performer and an improviser that kind of was the guiding force or the fuel for everything so and you work with second city yeah the second city i've worked with uh, cbs and upn affiliates over my career too and uh, some different radio markets around the country as well so well this radio show uh we could talk for hours about comedy and you know, your radio <laughs> background but we like to cover social awareness topics. Uh, it's a public affairs radio show uh, working with children. I have to believe that as a magician, uh, you've worked at hospitals, whether it be a children's hospital or um, um, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, old folks home, uh, veterans hospitals. Um, tell me about some of those experiences. Well, you mentioned the veterans hospitals. That's something that's near and dear to my heart. My dad's a Vietnam veteran, so that's what got me interested initially. <clears throat> because then I decided... Uh, my dad being a veteran of, uh, of uh, Vietnam, I thought, oh, these are the guys that I've always kind of appreciated. And oftentimes society, for whatever reasons, with the, whether it's the news cycle, just the way it functions, a lot of times these guys are, are if not forgotten, they don't get the respect that they necessarily deserve. Necessarily deserve. So working with uh, these hospitals, it's fun to go in and just interact. And as you know from talking to other people in the charitable fields, just time one-on-one -on -one with somebody is the most important thing. Just to be like, oh, I'm here. Now my... Uh, my entry into meeting you or talking to you today in your rehabilitation process or whatever it is may be that I'm a magician and I can show you how to even rehabilitate through your own hands or motor skills through a deck of cards or coins. That's a popular thing now where magicians will go in, do a little performing to get the um, 
the patient comfortable with what's happening. And then actually you can help them gain dexterity in their hands with working with just simple card tricks. We don't expect them to be able to, you know, do crazy flourishes or produce uh, uh, 40 coins from their hands. But just the very basics that we learn early on in a career as a performer, it's it's super helpful for them just to regain what they once had as far as that what they're going through. Is that's amazing. I never thought. I thought you'd just go in and do some tricks and leave. You're yeah. actually, you're a doctor almost. You're a doctor magician. Yeah. D- please don't saw your nurse in half. <laughs> That's true. But here's yeah. a deck of cards. Try these tricks. That's a great idea. You know, we've heard it in the medical profession too, guys that go in and use comedy as the main thing that they're doing. Make them laugh and then help them uh, understand their course of treatment or whatever they're going through. Magic, it's the same way. Like, let me show you a little something that I can do with these, uh, these apparatus or these items that I brought with me. And often it's stuff these guys are going to have at home or maybe even available in the hospital and then from there let me show you how with these basic moves not only are you it's kind of it's a fun way of medicine because as they're learning to do a trick they almost forget that they're learning to reuse the things that they had before a, a traumatic brain injury or some kind of spinal cord injury or whatever it is that got them in the situation where they have to rehabilitate while they're learning this thing to show their buddy in the hospital bed next door or visiting family members they don't realize that oh I'm gaining use of my hands in not only in new ways, but I'm regaining the things that I had. And a nice side benefit is it makes them more socially interactive as well. If there's a lot of times with, for example, veterans, but not only veterans with small children as well, having an injury makes you so much more self-aware just by the nature of what's happened to you. So when you're socially interactive with people, not only are you showing them this kind of skill or this fun hobby that you're learning, but another fun byproduct is, oh, I'm reconnecting with people. So it's incredible. It's super rewarding. Cody Dove is our guest, magician, uh, comedian, um, son of a rodeo announcer. I mean, you're, you're, the feathers in your hat are, are many. Um, and when you leave a, a hospital, uh, it's human nature to want to show the person that taught you how to do something that you can do it. So you show a, a, either a child or a veteran uh, how to do a trick. Maybe, like you said, their hands aren't working. It's a, it's a rehab sort of thing to get the dexterity back, like you, like you mentioned. Um, two, you're there for two hours. The first person you show the trick to, by the time you're leaving, do they grab you and say, wait, 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 don't leave yet. Let me show you that I, I learned how to do it. And uh-huh. the, the pride in their face, the smile yeah. on their face, the look in their eyes. I mean, how's that make you feel? It's the most rewarding thing in the world. And it, it truly does happen. Before they go, it's either, can you show me one more thing that you hooked them? Then you know you've hooked them and you've really made a difference. Or they'll say, is this how I'm doing it? And then just showing them a little bit of adjustment, it, it gets them uh, fully engaged in that kind of process. It kind of opens them out of their shell and out of whatever trauma they've had to experience. But yeah, it's the most rewarding thing in the world because there's a magician's code where don't share your secrets. It takes away from the magic. But in this case, you form a bond instantly when you say, I know magicians aren't supposed to tell anybody anything, but let me show you a couple things that are fun that you can show other people. So you have this instant connection, and when you leave and you show them, hey, uh, nurse, come here for a second, you show them interacting with people in a new way that they don't even realize that they're regaining these things they once lost, it's it's the most rewarding thing in the world. I, I would do it all day, you know, if they had let me. The hospital's like, we have set hours of what you can do, but it is, it's a great experience. Yeah. Well, we uh, congratulate you for your work uh, with hospitals and children and vets. Uh, it's fantastic. You're making this planet a better place. Cody Dove is our guest. And uh, before I let you go, just have some fun now. Uh, you're f- and I don't know the terminology, and I don't want to offend you no, as a no, magician. Yeah. Um, but if I asked you what your favorite trick was, can I call it a trick? Sure, I don't know course. if it's, yeah. you know, this is your livelihood. I don't want to sure. demean what you do. <laughs> 
do? I, to me, it's a trick. Yeah. What is it to you? Well, you know, the guys in the business, I'm a comedy magician, so we have a tendency to be like, ah, whatever, you know, we just want to have fun. With it. <laughs> There's guys that take it very serious, and they should, because it really is an art. It really it's, is. What is your favorite artistic uh, effect. endeavor, yeah. effect? Um, I, I have an effect where... That you do. That, that you I do. do. Sure. Yeah. That I have, I have uh, a red silk or a handkerchief. I stuff it into my hand, and then there's an egg there. Now, what's fun about it, and it kind of ties into teaching people magic in whatever venue, is I show them how it's done. It's a fake egg. So I take the scarf out and show them how it's just stuffed into this hollowed-out fake egg. But then I go, wait, if you really believe in magic like I do, let me show you something weird. I stuff it back in the egg. Then I show them where it's entered the egg. And it looks like a little red hole where the silk has gone in there. I peel that off of the egg like it's a sticker, that little red dot. Stick it on my nose. Then I take the egg crack it into a glass and i say thanks a lot thanks for coming and people are like oh wait i know how he does it and then yeah. you crack the egg and it's like oh now you you're messing with people's minds That's man this part you take them down one path you're like this is the way it goes and then at the end you're like it's somewhere completely different well let's uh get your digital properties our listeners want to know how they can look you up on twitter or facebook or a website possibly yeah i really appreciate that it's at cody dove at twitter and it's codydove.com is my website that has my tour schedule and information about some of the projects i'm involved in performing uh, at the illusionarium that's where i saw you great show you're fantastic improv thanks. comedy magic you do it all cody dove thanks for coming on thank you so much i really appreciate your time Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. Get ready for an inspiring, uh, uh, informative, entertaining foundation story coming to you from Pine Island, Florida. We are uh, at the Pineland Marina with uh, a fishing tournament for charity. And we're here with Ernestine Holloway. Hi, Ernestine. How are you? Hi. Nice to meet you. It's so great to be here with you and uh, all the... Fanfare here, raffle tickets, um, T-shirts, hats. It's a fishing tournament, all to benefit your son, Bobby Holloway Jr. Tell us about Bobby. Uh, Bobby was 11 when he um, was killed in a hunting accident, but he had a big heart, and he always wanted to help people and other kids. And so when he passed away, it just seemed unnatural to have this tournament and benefit the children in our area. And it's with school clothes, it's food, it's medical, it's college scholarships. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, football, baseball, anything that will enrich the lives of our youth and, you know, keep them on the right track. And when did uh, Bobby pass away in this hunting accident? How long ago? 18 years. 1990, oh, wow. Yeah, 1997. Well, you I, you look young enough. I thought you were going to tell me it was just a few years ago. Yeah, thanks. Okay, uh, 18 years ago. And so has this... Uh, fishing tournament or the foundation itself been around since that day yes, since 18 years ago yes it has and how long okay this specific event we're at today is a fishing ter competition right it's adult and youth division and then we have one neat division we call the little bobbers and it's where local captains guide um, underprivileged kids in our area that have never been on a boat and we're an island and it's just an unbelievable day a lifetime memory and they get to participate in the tournament and they get to have you know a captain's meeting like the big guys and they get shirts and hats and rods and reels and that's pretty interesting again we're yeah. talking with ernestine holloway uh the mother of bobby holloway who was um accidentally killed during a hunting accident 18 years ago the foundation started then and it raises money and awareness for all kinds of things the scholarships tell me about the scholarships it's college scholarships uh, for a graduating senior in our area they apply but we also do continuing education 
It could be for someone that's going to, to Votech, you know, to learn a vocational trade. Okay. So, you know, that was a big deal. We started that the year that Bobby would have graduated. So, I mean, we just, you know, it's like a full-rounded, you know, benefit for the children, you know, any way to enrich their lives. And we live on an island, so swimming lessons are very important to save lives. So we, you know, take care of swimming lessons and camps and, you know, it's been medical sometime and sometimes it's been a water bill that the family couldn't pay, but they have kids at home. So it's it's very rewarding, you know. What a legacy for my son, you know. It's you know it's always emotional, but it's always good. It's you know very therapeutic and healing. So this event today, the Bobby Holloway Jr. Memorial Fishing Tournament. Uh, again, we're at Pineland Marina. It's on Pine Island, a little fishing town called Boquilla. And it's just gorgeous here, Southwest Florida, I guess, uh, for our friends listening. If you've ever been to Sanibel or Captiva off of Fort Myers Beach, we're the next island north, Pine Island, and that's the island you're speaking about. Yes. So this event today, the fishing tournament, tell me about it. I mean, there's hundreds of people here, oh, yes. vendors, food. Oh, yeah, um, and we have our, our mullet wagon because our local fair here is the lowly mullet to some, but it's a delicacy to us. So we have our <laughs> mullet wagon. And for the people that don't like the seafood, we have barbecue. And it's the same people from day one, 18 years ago, you know, that are out here. And it's just a big family. It's the kickoff to a tournament season in our area, which is a big deal. You know, it's a big money maker. And we hope today to make over 50 grand. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've come a long ways. Who would have thought? 50, Seven. That's unbelievable. What? Yeah. From, a, from a tragedy to uh, a success story to, to really turn this around and have it be a positive thing. Uh, you've got such a smile on your face, yeah. too. I know you're really proud of yeah. this, and I'm oh, sure Bobby would have been, too. Yes, yes, it's lemonade. That's what I call my lemonade, you know. It's lemonade. Yes. Well, for our friends listening, uh, is there a digital property, a website? How can they get involved, either through education, awareness, or if they want to actually give money to the foundation? It's Holloway, H-O-L-L-O-W-A-Y, tourney.org. And you can look it up on the web. Okay, Holloway attorney.org. Ernestine, thank you so much for your time and continued success with your foundation. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.